0: What does the smell of motor oil, vanilla ice cream, and parachutes have in common? A little aquatic rodent known as the beaver. I'm Jim Gates. I'm the editor of The Wild, and we're working on season two right now. But in the meantime, we thought we'd share an earlier interview that we did for our beaver episode. That was episode four, if you haven't heard it. It's one of my favorites. In that episode, Chris spoke to Ben Goldfarb. Ben is a journalist, and he loves beavers. He wrote a book called Eager, The Surprising Secret Lives of Beavers and Why They Matter. In our earlier episode, we only used a small portion of what Ben told us about beavers, so we thought it'd be fun to share the full interview. So here we go. Here's Chris talking with Ben Goldfarb.
1: Hi, Ben. Hey, how's it going, Chris? It's going well. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. You're, it's so good to have you here. I'm, I, this seems so appropriate. I've, I've still got mud down my jacket from slush, sloshing around a beaver pond this morning.
2: Where did you guys uh, go in Seattle? We,
1: we ended up at, uh, at one of the local parks here near the University District, and uh, where there was just a great example of every every element of, of the beaver ecosystem. It was perfect, and beautiful sunny day with it as well.
2: Yeah that's that's fantastic. Yeah I think one of the cool things is how how urban they can be. You know, you really see them in in some pretty uh, densely settled environments which is pretty
1: pretty cool. It, it, yeah, it, it's very surprising. And that was actually the first thing I wanted to ask you, you know, in, in your book title it says that beavers are surprising and what what's so surprising to you about beavers?
2: Yeah, I, so there are such there there are so many surprising things to me about beavers. You know, I think that to me the, the thing that was most shocking when I embarked on the book project was just understanding how incredibly profound their historic influence on the land was. You know, I think we think about them as being kind of these these fun little rodents uh, and don't always give them credit for being these Incredibly dramatic ecosystem engineers and architects, you know, historically mm. before we eliminated them, uh, you know, they would have created hundreds of millions of acres of, of pond and wetland habitat and just profoundly transformed what this country looked like. So the the, the dramatic impact that beavers have and then the equally dramatic impact of eliminating all of those beavers, uh, that was what most surprised me was just how epic the story of beavers is, is in many ways.
1: And surprising and twists and turns and so many sort of layers to the onion, aren't there, with these animals, it seems. You know, describe to me, you know, what are they doing out there? You talk about them building dams and, and creating ponds. What is it that they're doing? Describe some of this engineering to me. It's fascinating stuff.
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So. The reason that beavers build dams is basically to create their own habitat, right? On on land, they're kind of these fat, slow, smelly, clumsy rodents that are, are prey for uh, bears and wolves and cougars and coyotes. But by expanding this watery habitat where they're much more comfortable, they're basically increasing their own shelter, right? So that's why you build a, a dam and create a pond is, you know, instead of having to walk overland to that tasty looking aspen tree over there, you can swim up to it and and be competitive Comparatively safe, uh, but you know the amazing thing about beavers is that even though they're expanding their own habitat, they're also inadvertently creating habitat for all of these other creatures as well. Right? We know that you know on this planet, water is life, and there are so many animals from. You know, ducks to frogs to fish to moose uh, that are dependent on the kinds of wet habitats that beavers are creating. So they're they're building their own shelter, but in the process, they're creating shelter for this vast ecosystem as well.
1: You know, you can not it really is quite incredible. You can't help but think that they've kind of thought this through. It's like the, the things that they're <laughs> capable of and doing on the in their everyday lives. It's like it almost seems pre-planned. You know, it's a long evolutionary history, I guess, of them specializing in the ways. I've got a got a uh, quote something I heard from you. You called them like ecological and hydrological Swiss army knives. I just I love that. <laughs> thanks, so thanks a lot. It's so adaptable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know when when it comes to when it comes to their role as a keystone species as well and for those people who don't know what a keystone species is, can you can you describe that and and if you think that they are a keystone they're clearly having a big effect, you know. Maybe you talk more about yeah. that. What does that mean? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So in in architecture, the keystone is the the block at the top of a stone arch that holds the entire arch together, right? And if you take out that that top block, the entire arch crumbles. And a keystone species plays a similar role in an ecosystem. You know, you have wolves, for example, that structure ecosystems by, you know, by affecting the behavior and thinning the herds of elk and deer. And you've got salmon that are a keystone species uh, because as salmon swim upriver, you know, they're bringing all of these nutrients to, to bears and eagles and otters and other animals. And beavers are playing that same role as well. They're, you know, they're also a species without which, ecosystems collapse because again they're they're building all of this wet habitat for literally thousands of different species uh, that are, are depending on them for, you know, for for ponds and wetlands and wet meadows. Um, so that's that's what a keystone species is, a species that disproportionately holds up an ecosystem. And the, to me, there's no question that beavers are doing that.
1: Disproportionately holds up an ecosystem. That's awesome. That's like, that cuts right through to how important these rodents are. And at first glance, you'd never know it, would you?
2: No, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're kind of goofy looking, but it turns out they're incredibly, incredibly <laughs> they're, critical for un- all sorts of reasons. Unlikely
1: hero kind of thing? An unlikely hero, yeah,
2: I think that's, <laughs> that's, a, good, that's a good way of putting it. But, you know, I mean, beside, aside from humans, they're really, in many ways, you know, our, our continent's most influential animal. And, you know, again, they're these kind of chunky balls of, of fat and fur, but they're doing a lot of work.
1: Yeah, it, it's uh, that's a really important thought, really. You know, there's not any species really that comes close to human beings in terms of our influence on the environment that we, that we now live in. But you think beavers are close behind us? They're, they're they're second on that list, are they?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure how close they are to us because you know because our our impact is just so dramatic. But to me, I, I think there's there's no doubt that that beavers are are in second place at least in at least in North America.
1: Maybe pound for pound. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe so. <laughs> and so
1: I guess you know, with this 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 keystone topic and how they prop up the ecosystem and they're this hub. There's nothing more important on people's minds these days than climate change. And you know, how is it that they're helping with climate change? There are some curious stories to be, to be told there. I've heard.
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So I think I think that you know, right now we're living at kind of the, the dawn of this beaver revolution. You know, there are mm. so many scientists and land managers and farmers and ranchers uh, who are getting interested in in these animals. And a, a really big reason for that is climate change, you know, because we know, especially in the West, that as the planet warms, drought becomes a, a bigger issue and our, our water supplies get increasingly stressed and we're losing a lot of the snowpack up in the mountains that's so important. That's kind of our, our water storage reservoir, you know, and as the... As the you know, as, as we lose that snowpack, as, as precipitation falls as rain rather than snow, it becomes really important that we figure out new strategies to capture some of that water, to hold water up in the up in the mountains, up in the high country. And you know, hey, here's this this nifty little rodent, capable of creating thousands and thousands of reservoirs uh, up in the mountains to keep that water on the landscape and keep our our streams and rivers hydrated into the the summer and fall as it gets hot. So I think that idea that beavers could be a water storage solution and help us adapt to climate change is a really big reason why there's so much interest in these animals right now.
1: That That is huge. And it makes you just think when there were far more beavers on the landscape than there are today, just how many ponds and wetlands there must have been in the past compared to today. Oh, it's... And, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's incredible you know you read you read old explorers and trappers accounts of crossing North america before all the beavers were eliminated and you know places that today we associate with desert like much of New mexico and, and eastern wyoming uh you know there explorers encountered marshes and wetlands and ponds and, and a lot of that was beaver influence you know the loss of these animals just completely changed North america and and really distorted i think uh what our our conception of a a, a healthy historic ecosystem
1: really is mm, mm, i love that that notion of thousands of reservoirs they're really protecting these water sources for us aren't they they're, they were the first reservoir builders really way before human beings were capable of it
2: right and, you know and, and i think that another really another really important function is not only are, are they improving or enhancing water quantity by keeping water on the land but they're also improving water quality right all of those ponds and mm. wetlands are basically filtering out sediment and pollution and uh, keeping, you know, keeping water supplies downstream uh, much healthier. You know, those, those, all of those wetlands are basically like kidneys on the landscape, filtering out waste and, you know, improving the, the quality of the, the water or, or the blood. Mm. Uh, so that's a, another really vital beaver role, I think, is, is, is there, improving water quality.
1: Is there anything they don't do? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an amazing resume, isn't well, it? You well, know,
2: they, don't, they don't screw stuff up like we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Good thing to leave off the resume. Yeah. So yeah, I've got to exactly. ask, I mean, it's easy to become fascinated with these animals. And, and what got you into them? What, what, what got you so fascinated with beavers and, and so fascinated to, to think about even writing a book about them?
2: Yeah, sure. I, you know, I think like most people who spend a lot of time fishing and backpacking and kayaking and camping, uh, you know, I'd spent a lot of time outside, and I'd, I definitely had some some beaver encounters, and always thought they were they were really cool animals. Uh, but the person who who really changed my conception of them from you know being just sort of fun rodents to being these these true landscape architects was this guy named uh, Kent Woodruff. He's a he's a, uh, a former Forest Service biologist uh, in in the Metau Valley in in kind of North Central Washington. Clinton. That's crazy.
1: I and, know uh, Kent. Kent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every, you
2: know, everybody knows Kent. Kent yeah. is kind of like a, a statewide celebrity. Totally. Um, and, uh, you know, Kent and Kent, so Kent for many years ran the Metau Beaver Project, which is basically this group that that live traps nuisance beavers. So beavers that are, you know, cutting down people's apple trees or clogging up road culverts or flooding fields or what have you. And they relocate those beavers up into the the, the mountains uh, in the in the Cascades where where the beavers can kind of be far from people but store a bunch of water and you know really do some ecological good and so it was just hanging out with Kent and going up there and seeing the places where he had moved beavers and seeing how dramatically those landscapes had changed you know it was, it was that understanding that my my own view of what a stream should look like was in many ways. Inaccurate because I, I too had omitted beavers from the this historic picture. Uh, Kent was really the person who helped me understand that and, and helped me to realize that, you know, the story of beavers is, is sort of the story of hundreds of years of environmental change and it's really quite an, an epic story in a lot of ways. Mm,
1: I love that. Yeah, just seeing the before and after kind of thing is, is surprising, isn't it? When we were out in the beaver ponds this morning, it feels like a place that's kind of been deserted in some ways. It's throbbing with life and songbirds and the ducks were were landing on the water next to us. And you could feel the life there, but it didn't feel like the beavers were around until you found some of their fresh sign, you know, some of the, the gnawed twigs and branches and, and some of the, the dams that they'd just recently shored up. And you just got this feeling like, OK, we're here now. There's not a beaver in sight. The second we leave, they're going to be back to it, back to work, as soon as we're not disturbing them anymore, you know. it just, It just felt like somewhere really dynamic, you know.
2: Yeah, you know, I th- and I think that one of the cool things about about beaver watching is that you know if you go if you go bird watching and you don't see the birds you're looking for, well, it's kind of a bust, right? Mm. Whereas if you go beaver watching, even if, even if you don't <laughs> see the animals themselves, there's still so much to interpret, so many landscape changes to analyze. You're trying to figure out, you know, why did they build this dam over here? Why did they dig this canal over there? Uh, you know, of course, there are all of the all of the animals that are drawn to the beaver pond. So I think that's one of the cool things about beavers is that you can really Go to their their habitats and and interact with them without even seeing the animals themselves. That's I think so that's a true. really unique thing about them.
1: You've led me right into a question here. It's the first time I've ever written this phrase on a piece of paper, and it just says sniffing <laughs> beavers' butts. Mm, mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that.
2: Yeah. So. Add <laughs> you a, back into good, that one. That's a, a good question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> what's the connection there? Because it, it, it's it's related to, to to being in beaver habitat and knowing that you're there without even seeing the beavers, right? But in this case, what you're just smelling them. What's the exactly? What's the yeah. So
2: right. So there's there's so much to say about sniffing beaver butts. It's really kind of remarkable. <laughs> um, so beavers, you know, so beavers they they have they have pretty poor eyesight, but they have amazing senses of smell, and and they they really navigate their world by scent, and um, they have two sets of. Of scent glands, they have the anal glands and they have their castor sacs, which produce castorium. And, and castorium is sort of this—it's actually it's sort of urine-based, uh, but it's you know it's it's this this very strong-smelling kind of musky, uh, but with hints of vanilla. It's a very unusual aroma. Mm. Um, and for a long time, castorium was actually used as a as a flavor additive uh, in things like like. Fruit sodas and vanilla ice cream. Uh, it's still used to this day in, in some perfumes. Uh, it's a it's a pretty a pretty unique scent.
1: I'm um, never eating vanilla ice cream again in my life.
2: <laughs> I think you know. I think I think that you're safe now. I think okay. that I think that uh, most vanilla ice cream does not contain hints of hints of beaver butt. Fortunately, <laughs> uh, at this at this juncture in history. Um, but so so one of the, one of the other kind of cool things you can do if you know, if you, if you know how, um, you know, if you really know how to interpret beaver scent uh, is you can actually smell these beaver secretions and figure out what What sex they are, right? So one of the one of the hard things about working with beavers as a biologist is that is that you can't really look at a beaver and know whether it's male or female, right? Because the Mm. the male because even male beavers actually have internal genitalia, right? Which which makes sense. I mean, if you're an animal that spends that spends its whole life, you know, swimming around log jams and down branches, you know, you don't want some sort of dangling uh, appendage, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cut it off there. Right. Um, so, so beavers have internal genitalia, so you can't look at a beaver and know whether it's a male or female. Uh, but what you can do is, is basically find the, the anal gland, uh, one of the scent organs, and you know squirt out a, a bit of scent secretion and sniff it. And if it smells like motor oil, uh, it's a male. And if it smells like old cheese, uh, it's a female. So that's, that's, how you, that's how you sex a beaver. Hopefully you never have the opportunity, but if you do, now you, now you know.
1: It is good to know these things. I don't know how I would have coped without it. You know? Thanks for that background. I love that. That's
2: that's news news you can use there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, K-U-O-W. It only takes a minute to give, and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks.
1: There's a lot of history when it comes to beavers in North America. You know, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, I mean, they've they've had an, an integral part in American history, right?
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, I mean, really, when when European colonists first arrived in North America, beavers were, you know, along with timber and cod, really the most important economic resource. Uh, you know, at that point, Europe had basically killed all of its own beavers, uh, or nearly all of its own beavers, uh, and they they needed a fresh source of of beaver pelts because beaver fur is basically used in, uh, or it was used in sort of fancy hats. You kind of take the, the under fur of the beaver and felt it up, and it turns into this really... Durable, pliable, waterproof material that was sort of the finest hat-making stuff. Uh, so beavers were were immensely valuable. So when when the European colonists first arrived, they basically set about systematically trapping beavers out of every stream, lake, river, and pond they they encountered, mm. uh, and you know steadily moved west across the continent. Trapping beavers, trading with Native Americans for for beaver pelts, uh, and this you know this early industry was incredibly important. You know, you look at, I mean, practically every significant historical event prior to the Civil War had some kind of beaver connection. You know, when the when the Pilgrims first arrived, they owed lots of money to their their creditors back in Europe, and they had to pay off those debts by shipping beaver pelts back across the Atlantic. So beavers wow. actually made the Massachusetts Bay Colony and the Plymouth Colony financially solvent. Uh, you know, the, the Revolutionary War, one of the things that the, the British did to anger the American colonists was deny them access to beaver trapping grounds west of the Appalachians. You know, so beavers played a, a role in the American Revolution. You know, the, wow. the Louisiana Purchase was partly uh, motivated by Jefferson's desire to obtain new trapping grounds for, for the beaver trade. So these, I mean, these animals are just so integral to uh, our, our own story as a nation.
1: Amazingly, so, yes, and incredible to think that so much of it began with a a a hat fad in many ways, hey that's uh <laughs> i mean it, it, it's it's an insane thought that we could have such an impact on a species because of a fashion item
2: yeah, I know it's it's true, but, you know, but then you think I mean that's kind of the story of our relationship with wildlife in so many ways, you know we mm-hmm. we wiped out bison in part because you know we wanted to use their furs as robes and and you know we eliminated you know i mean untold billions of of uh, of songbirds because you know we used their plumage in hats you know it's it's amazing the extent to which fashion has basically driven our relationship with the environment for centuries
1: and so they went through this massive decline so they 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 dropped in numbers uh, historic. how many how many do you think there were perhaps in north america is there an estimate for that
2: yeah, it's a great question. Nobody, so nobody really knows for sure. But the best estimate we have is that there were as many as four hundred million beavers. Oh my
1: goodness! Wow, uh, that's so a lot just of hats. an
2: Enormous number. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. No kidding. And then, you know, and then by 1900 or so, uh, there were only a hundred thousand left. So we went from as many as four hundred million to only a hundred thousand, uh, which is, you know, a, just a, a dramatic, catastrophic decline.
1: In, in the far reaches where they were difficult to, to get to, difficult to access for hunters and trappers, I presume.
2: Yeah, exactly. Most of the beavers left in North America were up up in Canada, but they were completely eliminated from from all of New England, all of the Southeast, all of the Midwest, California. Uh, yeah, they were they were wiped out of of nearly the entirety of the United
1: States. And and, and so from that four hundred million, uh, where do we stand now? We went through a massive decline to just a, 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 a few thousand. Where are we now? Are they are they rebounding? And how much have they have they come back? Are we giving them a chance? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I think that in many ways beavers are one of our greatest wildlife success stories. Mm. Uh, you know, because after they they collapsed, we passed a lot of conservation laws. Uh, biologists around the country began to reintroduce beavers uh, to places they'd been trapped out of, and today there there are maybe 15 million or so beavers in North America, although nobody really knows for sure. So we went from 100,000 to 15 million. So from that perspective, it's it's certainly a, a wonderful story of of recovery and conservation. Mm-hmm. But then you consider the fact that historically there were likely several hundred million, uh, and you know you realize that we still have an awfully long way to go when it comes to returning this species to many of the places that it was eliminated from.
1: Mm-hmm. The great beaver comeback, hopefully, that we're in the midst of.
2: Yeah, it's you know it's def- it's definitely happening, and it's just it's really exciting to see all of all of the. All of the people, um, you know, from scientists to ordinary citizens to ranchers who are are kind of getting behind beavers right now. It's a really exciting time to be a beaver believer in many
1: ways. beaver believer. I love that. You know, this morning um, in the ponds, we were learning about how uh, beavers can actually work alongside human planners to create landscapes that, that, that work with them as opposed to against them. You know, it was fascinating. Like actually designing parks with the beavers in mind. And not just sort of working around them, but working with them. It's almost like they're at the planning committee table, you know. It was super fascinating. <laughs> there's, a, there's so much going on there. It's just it's, it's pretty cool. I've got to ask you about, um, tell me about parachuting beavers coming into. Oh, yeah. Managing. Everybody wants to know about well, that. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got to hear, I've got to hear this story. That's all I know. There's something to do with parachutes.
2: Right. So um, yeah, so the, the story of parachuting beavers goes back to 1948 uh, in Idaho uh, at a time where beavers had begun to recover in, in many places, and uh, the the state's Department of Fish and Game wanted more beavers and also wanted to sort of eliminate some of the conflicts that beavers were causing with growing human communities. So they basically decided to live trap a bunch of a bunch of beavers and relocate them uh, to the to the wilderness, which was you know a really a really nice idea. Mm. Uh, the the initial challenge was that they they tried to move the the beavers on horseback, and you know you can't really blame the horses for not uh, being a big fan of having you know beavers strapped to their back. Mm. Uh, so the, the horseback relocation didn't work. So the, the next thing they decided to try was parachutes, because it's you know it's 1948. It's sort of just post World War II. There are all of these surplus parachutes on hand. Uh, they've got some airplanes, so you know why not try uh, tossing beavers out of airplanes? Uh, oh, so you so can't this- make
1: this stuff up. That's just insane. <laughs> if it's, it's not all just
2: plan b parachutes anybody yeah plan, plan B is plan b was parachutes they went straight to the parachutes yeah they didn't they didn't even try you know backpacks um so they so they this this one biologist this guy named Elmo Heater uh designed this this special crate that you could strap to a parachute and, and then the crate would fall open upon impact uh, so, so that year in 1948, they they dropped 76 beavers out of airplanes uh, wow. in these specially designed crates attached to parachutes, and uh, 75 of the beavers survived. One of the beavers, unfortunately, got out of the crate midair somehow and uh, and fell to his death, uh-huh. uh, which was unfortunate. But, but uh, it actually worked. Out
1: of 76 lived. 75 to, to, to made to start it. A yeah.
2: Yeah and then and then the the really remarkable thing was that when they when they flew over those same areas the next year they found that beavers had actually built dams and and lodges in all of the places they'd been dropped off so the beavers not only survived the initial landing they actually uh
1: built built dams and flourished wow they just got to work doing what beavers do hey that that's amazing and i i've heard that you know you can have uh descendants of the same family downstream, you know, they when they give birth, often their, their, their youngsters will move on downstream and set up their own lodges and homes and ponds and and then their descendants and, and kids, so you get kids and grandkids and great-grandkids on down the river. It's it's just a beautiful family arrangement, isn't it? I, I, I love that.
2: It is, yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things that I, I really appreciate about beavers is how, how family-oriented and cooperative they are. You know, typically you've got, in a, in a single colony, you've got the, the mating male and female, the kind of the the parents who who are monogamous and made for life. Uh, and then you've got, you know, you've got the newborn kids, the babies, you've got the one year olds and you've got the two year olds uh, who actually stay with their with their family until until their second year. Hmm. Uh, and that's when they go sort of disperse out, you know, like like teenagers heading off for college or something. Uh, but, you know, when the whole family's living together, they're all working on the dam and lodge together they're you know they're foraging together the 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 offspring are actually watching their parents to kind of learn the the tricks of the beaver trade so they're they're just these very cooperative family oriented animals in a you know in a way that I, I think is kind of admirable
1: it's a very sweet thing but 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 also just the depth of the stories behind them you know um can you just talk for a moment about like some of the the other real changes on the landscape, and, and and the impact that you see that these beavers are having, uh, there was some. There was a story in Nevada. What was that? What was that?
2: Oh yeah, that's that's a yeah, that's a that's a that's a great story yeah so you know i think I think that one of the really exciting trends to me is is farmers and ranchers working with beavers on on their land to create water sources you know if you're if you're a farmer or rancher especially in you know the arid American west uh, water is your your most important resource hands down and you know any creature that's capable of, of Storing and creating water essentially uh, starts to look pretty valuable. So in in Nevada, you know there there are uh, a, this this really great sort of progressive cluster of pro beaver ranchers mm. uh, who have basically they basically modified. Their grazing practices uh, to allow willow and other vegetation to regrow in the stream. You know, streams that had sort of formerly been overgrazed and basically barren started to recover. All of this vegetation and, and beavers showed up, you know, seemingly from thin air, uh, to to basically eat all this stuff and to you know use it as building material. And uh, you know, these these ranchers, um, you know, especially this this one guy named John Griggs, who's really a, a leader uh, in the the Nevada ranching community and is a you know a really thoughtful uh, pro pro beaver dude um, you know John as a result of beavers returning to his his ranch uh, basically observed these these dramatic increases in in ponds and marshes and wetlands which turned out to be really good water sources for his cattle uh, and and thanks to that beaver activity, when really severe drought struck the area and other ranchers were pulling their cattle off the range, John was able to keep his livestock out there huh. uh, because they had these fantastic beaver-created water sources. Amazing. Uh, which, and, is, which is pretty cool.
1: And would those guys traditionally have been opposed to beavers in the first place without seeing the real positive results of them? Yeah, I think, I think so. As, you has know, that that been been kind of a that switch that there in, 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 in mentality about beavers? Definitely.
2: You know, I think, I think the agricultural community... Long considered beavers the enemy because one of the one of the things that beavers do is they, they love to build dams and irrigation ditches, mm. uh, which you know which if you're an irrigator uh, or you depend on that on that water can you know throw throw a wrench in the in the works a mm. little bit. Uh, so you know I, I certainly have talked to many ranchers who basically say you know yeah I spent my my childhood on my dad's ranch shooting beavers essentially every time a beaver showed up you know we we got rid of it uh, and you know I think that that mindset is still prevalent in many places, mm. uh, but I do think it's changing I think. That you know, people like people like John Griggs are, are sort of showing the agricultural community that there there are different ways to interact with these animals, and they can be they can be really beneficial. Mm. Uh, and I think you know one other one other very cool thing about about that Nevada story too is that one of the real benefits they saw was increased grass production, right? Because you've got beavers essentially spreading water out in these pastures and irrigating all of these pastures, you know, raising the groundwater table, just hydrating these river valleys, and you know, so you see this fantastic. Growth of grass, uh, which of course is is great if you're you know if you're if you're uh, a rancher because you know your livestock needs grass.
0: Mm, um, mm-hmm. So I think
2: that I think that idea that beavers can actually increase forage uh, for cattle is another really compelling argument in in favor of beavers. And just
1: another another surprise, that's yeah just incredible. Awesome, Ben. Well, thank you. I'm the proud owner of your book, and I'm going to be spreading the word alongside oh, you. It's, it's, just, it's just lovely, you know, just shedding new light on these creatures. I, I really appreciate it, and, and, and thanks for joining me today.
2: Yeah, thanks, and thanks so much for all, all you do to, to increase understanding of science and nature and the environment. I, I, I really appreciate it. So,
1: oh, thanks for that, Thanks ben. a lot. I appreciate it. All right, take it easy.
2: All right, take Bye. care.
0: That was Ben Goldfarb talking with Chris Morgan. Ben's book is called Eager, The Surprising Secret Lives of Beavers and Why They Matter. Now, if you still haven't gotten enough of your beaver fix, you might want to check out our Facebook Live Wild Book Club interview with Ben. We put a link to the video in our conversation with Ben in the show notes. And thanks to Kara McDermott and Juan Pablo Chiquiza for helping us put that together. This episode was produced by Matt Martin and edited by me, Jim Gates. Brendan Sweeney is our director of content. Thanks for listening. At SoundSide, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting SoundSide as, number one, asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you KUOW listeners want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for SoundSide at noon and 8 p.m. on KUOW or anytime on the SoundSide podcast.